The following audio is from the King's Chapel in Clifton, Virginia. For more information about our church or to listen to more sermons from this series, you can visit us online at thekingschapel.org. Good morning, everyone. Uh, Turn to Mark chapter 7, please. Mark chapter 7 if you have your Bibles with you or if you picked up an outline on the way in. We're going to begin in verse 31. And we are going to be looking at a passage on healing this morning. The title of the sermon is The Heart of Healing, a bit of a play on words on the art of healing, because we're going to see Jesus' method uh, and his unique method for each person he comes across as he pours out compassion on people through healing. And we're going to see that it matters much more Jesus' heart towards the people than it does actually the technique. We'll get to that in, in a moment. And I just want to set that up for you so that I can remind you that after I'm done with this sermon during our time of response, as we have a a chance to respond to the Word of God through prayer, through worship, there will also be people over there. Look at those crosses by the window on the Braddock Roadside, if you don't mind. There will be people there to pray with you and pray for you at the conclusion of the sermon. Think of something you might need prayer for. Mark chapter 7, verse 31. It says, Then he returned, that is Jesus, from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And there they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears. And after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened. His tongue was released, and he spoke plainly, and Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, he has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. As we've been going through the Gospel of Mark, as we go passage by passage through this Gospel, we see Jesus encounter people, we see him heal people, we see him uh, set free those that are captive and demonized, and, and, and he brings this freedom and this, this truth and this power and this goodness into people's lives. And what's uh, crazy to me is as he goes further in his ministry, he actually calls his disciples, his followers, to do the same things that he did. to to do the exact same things, to go forth and to heal in his name. And and so to me, this is a challenge because as I read passages about the disciples going into Acts after Pentecost and and these different places, we see the way that they operate and it's it's pretty bold. I think of of Peter and John as they're approaching the temple in Acts chapter three. They're walking up to the entrance of the temple, if you remember this story, and there is a man laying there at the entrance of the temple. He's been crippled, lame from birth, unable to walk. And they walk up to him as he's begging for coins, and he's shaking his cup, asking for money. And then Peter says something unbelievable. He says, gold and silver I do not have, but what I have I give to you. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise and walk. And he does. He stands up. It's this amazing miracle through the power of God in individual believers listening to his spirit in accord with his will and pronouncing and praying healing over someone who needs it. And when I read that kind of passage, I'm personally challenged by that because I think to myself, if God called me to do that, if he called me to walk up to someone in need and and gave me a word from him that that person needed healing and I was to be the one to pray for that healing or to pronounce that healing, I think to myself, I don't know if I could do that. Anyone else identify with that? Like we shrink back a little bit. We, We doubt if we have the boldness to do these kinds of things. I think we actually make dual errors in our praying. We categorize some things as too small to bring before God. 
too small, like it's too trivial, that doesn't matter. And, and, and let me remind you that Jesus taught his disciples to pray for bread for today. That's small. That's small. He, he wants all of our prayers. He also encourages us to pray for his kingdom to come and his will to be done. He encourages us to pray big prayers as well. But we make these dual errors of categorizing some things as too trivial to the Lord and other things as just too massive, too big to overcome, especially when it comes to healing. We think, oh, Lord, I'll pray for the pain to go away, but not for the healing to come. Lord, give me relief from this headache. Give me relief from this, this anxious feeling that I feel in my body. Give me relief from these things or give relief to others. But when it comes to some of the, the bigger things, like, like a broken bone or, or a cancer diagnosis or these kinds of big things, sometimes they're too overwhelming and we have this, this fear, this apprehension, this low-lying worry about asking God for these things with any kind of boldness, with any kind of conviction. And I was, I was thinking about this this week and the question is Why? Why are we apprehensive? Why do we shrink back from, from prayer for healing? And, and I think I wrestle with this internal tension. I wonder if you do too. And I think if I'm being honest, it's this, this tension with what if God doesn't answer? You know, what if I pray in this bold way for someone and God doesn't answer? He doesn't come through. What kind of seed of doubt will that sow in, in my own heart and mind and in the one that I'm praying for? Anyone identify with that? Anyone here? Yeah, thank you. Look around. You're not, you're not alone in this. But we don't want to risk the experience of doubt that might come if God doesn't respond to the things we've asked him for. So I, I was, I, a few years ago, learning a lot about prayer. And I was leaning into this idea of prayer. Um, it's something that Christians do. We pray. We have this amazing access to talk to God and to be able to approach his throne with boldness. And he had begun to, to teach me that I'm his child, that he is a loving father. I was really uh, meditating on Jesus teaching his disciples to pray, our father, not, not his father, our father who art in heaven, and to pray like it. Pray like he's our father who loves us and cares about us. So I was praying for the simplest things, for daily provision, for, for little things. And again and again, God was answering my prayers. Like, it was like anything I asked for, he was saying yes to. And I think he, it was an era in which, or a period of time in my life when, in which he was trying to stir my faith and showing me, this is how I work. I care about you. I care about the daily things in your life. And it, it John 15, 7 for me was really coming alive like never before, which says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. It doesn't mean we, we get what we want all the time. It means as we draw near in relationship to God, our hearts change to desire the things that he wants. And as we pray according to his will, he answers us and we get to see his hand and our faith is built. And so my faith was being built, but despite that, this idea of healing still really intimidated me. So I prayed, and I wondered aloud to God something like this, and this is kind of a ridiculous thing to pray or to ask of God. I was like, God, I really want this. I really want to be able to pray boldly for people's healing. I want to be able uh, to pray in accord with your will, but there was, I wish there was some way that I could practice this without consequence. Like, I wish there was a lab in which I could be placed with someone who needed healing to be able to pray for them with all boldness to say whatever words I want to say without there being any consequence of feeling weird in myself or them feeling weird. I know that's a strange request. Like, it's kind of impossible, right? Put me in the healing lab where I can practice praying. And I knew it was impossible until uh, it wasn't. Because very shortly after I started asking God for this, saying, God, give me this opportunity, uh, I got an invitation. My wife and I got an invitation from a woman uh, who wanted us to come and pray for her. And she had just been out of a, a major surgery and was dealing with some complications. And she was really eager to receive some prayer. And so we go and we visit her. 
And um, something you should also know about her is though she had a major kind of abdominal surgery is that she was completely deaf apart from a uh, hearing aid, an electronic hearing device. And so she invites us in to pray for her. And I ask if I can pray for her surgery recovery, which is what she's asked us to do. And I say, I know this is unusual, but can I also pray for your ears, for your hearing? Um, now, you should be aware, not everyone wants you to pray for that kind of stuff. I, I don't be presumptuous. You should, you should ask people's permission, especially before laying hands on somebody or walking up and, and doing weird stuff. Just don't do weird stuff other than, <laughs> you know, other than biblical kind of things. And so I ask her permission, and she says yes. Um, she says yes that we can pray for, she's like, that's not really what I need today, but go for it. And so she sits, she removes her hearing aids, she closes her eyes, and my wife and I each lay a hand on her shoulder, and then I realize something. I'm in that lab. I can pray for whatever I want, however I want, and she is not going to see or hear. <laughs> and it, I was, my mind was blown, and it was like the Lord was saying to me gently, uh, Mark, you know that I answer prayers, so pray like it. You know that the Lord answers prayers. Do we pray like it? Do we, do we pursue him like it? And he encouraged me that he hears our prayers. And so I was motivated. And so we prayed and we prayed and we, we beseeched God for our friend. She, she informed us beforehand that she had also had a lot of pain in one of her ears. Um, and, and so we beseeched God for our friend and we laid hands on her before the Lord and, and, and with full confidence that he was going to do something in that room. And if it was according to his will to hear, heal her hearing that day, if he wanted to, he could. He could do that on the spot. It's a beautiful place to be when you know with full confidence that he is able. Doesn't mean he will, but he is able. And we pray to him like it. And so we, we conclude our prayers. We say amen. We give her kind of the... the tap on the shoulder, and, and I, she looks up at me. She looks in my face as we say amen, and I ask her, how do you feel? She looks up at me with this look of wonder, and then she reaches over and puts her hearing aid in and says, what? <laughs> and that's not what I expected. I was like, this is the moment. This is when it's going to happen. But actually, what she told us was that the pain that she was feeling in her, her body from the surgery had massively gone down. And all of the pain in her ear, actually, my wife laid a hand on her ear and prayed for her ear. All of the pain was gone, all of it. And she was completely at peace. And then she laid down and went to sleep, and we left. And we just thought about, like, why did God do that exactly? Why did he set it up that way and not come through exactly the way we expected? And, and I think what I, I learned in that is that it wasn't really about the healing at all. It was about the healer. It oriented her heart and ours to God and his love and compassion, and she sensed it in the room completely. She didn't even ask for a healing for her ears. That was my agenda. But God had something else in mind for her, and it was actually what she, she really needed in that moment. But here, over the next few weeks, as we study God's scriptures, we're going to see Jesus. He, he comes along, and he comes to all kinds of people, and he heals, and he does these things in, in different ways. Today, he's going to to heal a, a deaf man. In a couple weeks, in Mark chapter 8, we're going to see him heal a man who's gone completely blind. And I just want to set this up in, in our minds. We, we often hear people say stuff like, healing today doesn't exist the way that it did during Jesus' ministry. Because when Jesus spoke a word of healing, it always was uh, complete and instantaneous, like, boom, you're healed. Yes, that was often the case. But actually, in Mark chapter 9, we're going to see a case in which he, he heals someone progressively. It doesn't all happen at once. He heals them over a period of a few minutes, and that should give us encouragement as we pray for other people to pray with this kind of expectation. 
And then after that, in Mark chapter 9, we're going to see another dramatic healing of a demonically afflicted child, a little bit of an echo of what we saw last week as Jesus responds to the faith of friends and family who bring their needs before him. What I want you to see in all this is that Jesus was a healer, the ultimate healer. And this morning, our task is really simple. We're going to look at this idea of healing and see four reasons biblically why Jesus healed. And then we're going to see after that three ways that he ministered to people. So it's going to be about the the why, and then it's going to be about the how. Um, Four ways or reasons that Jesus healed. And I encourage you to do this. If you're curious about this topic, go through the New Testament, go through the Gospels, and look at every occasion of Jesus' healing. And what you're going to see is he heals people, and as his disciples heal people, is that the way in which it happens is very different most of the time. But what is crazy to me is that Jesus actually, in the Gospels, heals hundreds of times. Hundreds of times that aren't even recorded for us. We don't get to, to hear all the stories, though they were all wondrous, I'd have to imagine. Mark 1.34 says this, for example. It says, he healed many who were sick with various diseases. And he cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Jesus healed hundreds, if not thousands of people during his earthly ministry. So this, this wasn't some kind of sideshow. It wasn't just something that he did occasionally on the side. As, as we read through the Gospels, what we see is that healing, physical restoration, healing of hearts, forgiveness of sins, uh, healing from demonic oppression, these things are a primary, consistent characteristic of his ministry. This is what the ministry and the kingdom of Jesus look like in real life. So why? Why did Jesus heal so often? Number one, Jesus healed to demonstrate his divinity. We see this especially in the Gospel of John as he goes through and and he's teaching these I am statements. I am is the the Hebrew name for God. And he's saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the bread of life. I am the door. I am the gate. And he has these seven miracles that he works with these I am statements like turning water into wine, cleansing the temple, healing the nobleman's son. These signs that point to his divinity. Make no mistake, God, Jesus was revealing to those that were paying attention, to those that had ears to hear and eyes to see, that he was the promised Messiah, the Son of God come to take away the sins of the world. He was God in the flesh. He was there to demonstrate his divinity. But we see also that he also often made that secret. He was kind of hiding that fact until the time was right. So that, that wasn't often the primary purpose of healing. It was something else. The second thing we see is that Jesus healed to reveal the nature of the kingdom of God. The nature of the kingdom of God. Matthew 4.23 says, He went through all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. This goes throughout the gospels. As the kingdom is proclaimed and moves forward, healing is a part of it. Healing follows. Now we see that each one of these healings in scripture is temporary. You know these people get healed from things and eventually what happens to them? They, they die. Yeah, eventually they do. So what Jesus is doing then is he's pointing them to the nature of the kingdom. He's pointing them to, to what is eternal. They're seeing that there is health and wholeness and healing in his kingdom. And while it's temporary here, it's just a picture of something that is, is so much more, his kingdom. And so it orients us, it points us to heaven. His kingdom is not of this world. It's like a foretaste. And here Jesus is showing that this is what the kingdom of God is like. It's an essential element. 
The third reason that Jesus healed, and this one might surprise you a little bit, but this is uh, one that is consistent in Scripture. Jesus healed as an example for his disciples to follow. This can be difficult to embrace. In fact, there's whole theological systems that that are based around uh, Jesus and, and the people of God not continuing to experience miraculous healing within their lives, right? And yet everyone still prays for healing when they're in a crisis, don't they? And we see in Scripture no reason why Jesus has stopped the ministry of healing, why God has stopped this. In fact, I've experienced in my own life uh, several cases of miraculous healing where we're praying for someone, and, and God, according to his will, decides to heal. And we as a church believe that God still desires to pour out his compassion on the hurting and the needy through those who love and follow him. We know that Jesus healed a lot, but did you you know his disciples also healed in his name? Not in their own power or authority, but in his name. Matthew 10 says this. It says, Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. Yeah, that was the 12. But then it goes on in in Luke 10. Jesus sends out 72 with authority. And he says, heal the sick in every town and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. And then we see throughout the New Testament that the believers after Pentecost, after the ascension, continue to pray and beseech the Lord for healing, and he often heals. I'm still convinced that Jesus responds to our prayers. I'm still convinced that he has the power to heal. I I don't know when he will, and the question I'm left wrestling with often is how much faith does he require? You know, Scripture talks often about faith being a a needed component in these, these kinds of situations, but how much faith? I'll tell you what Scripture says, not much. Not much. A seed's worth. A seed's worth. And I think we make a mistake often when we think that faith means psychological certainty of an outcome. And that's not what it is scripturally. It's not psychological certainty that as you pray for someone, they are going to receive healing. No, instead it is certainty in God's goodness and certainty in his power to heal. And as we're in tune with his spirit, as we're listening to his spirit, sometimes he may give you a gift of faith where you know that someone's going to be healed. Other than that, I, I wouldn't necessarily, actually, I would, I would caution you not to promise healing to people unless you've heard distinctly from the Lord that he's going to do something through a gift of faith. So God doesn't promise healing in every circumstance. He doesn't. Actually, Hebrews tells us that what we get when we seek him in prayer is not necessarily what we ask for all the time, but we get grace. I guarantee you grace. It says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I've known so many people who are praying for healing for themselves or for others in their lives, and they might not get it in that moment. They look forward to an eternal uh, healing and restoration. But in the moment, as they draw near to the Lord, even in the darkest of circumstances, they experience his presence, his grace, his peace, and his mercy to help in time of need. The fourth reason that we see that Jesus heals during his earthly ministry is because he was moved with compassion. Moved with compassion. And this is the one I think we see primarily in the Gospels. The most common explanation for why Jesus fed, ministered to, and healed those in the crowds is because he was moved with compassion toward them. You can see this in Matthew 20, Mark 1, Mark 6, Mark 8, Matthew 9, Matthew 14. It's just a theme throughout the Gospels. He looks out at those in need. He looks upon the people in these crowds, and it says he healed every kind of disease and illness 
And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And so he said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his fields. Jesus brought hope and healing to a world in desperate need, and he was full of compassion, and the heart of God has not changed. So as we look at this passage this morning in Mark chapter 7, I want to show you the map again just to give you some context of where we are and, and get you caught up in this particular passage. So if you could throw the, the map up on the slide. We looked at this unique journey that Jesus took into Gentile territory. Last week we talked about him going into this Phoenician territory, Tyre and Sidon, this home of the Canaanites, people who were um, Baal worshippers, worshippers of false gods, and he goes on this journey towards the coast of the Mediterranean Sea for a while with his disciples. And while he's there, we only get one story, really, this healing of the Syrophoenician woman's daughter who is delivered from demonic oppression at the word of Jesus. We see this, this amazing example of someone in this extremely uh, dark region near Jesus respond in simple faith to the Lord. And then he goes north to Sidon, and this is what the passage actually says. He, he journeys up the coast, and this is really unusual because he's going over back to the Sea of Galilee, to the Decapolis on the east side of the Sea of Galilee. And uh, he's going up there, and it says that he goes by way of Sidon. He goes back to Galilee by way of Sidon. Looking at the map, that doesn't really make a lot of sense. It's like saying uh, he went to Arlington by way of Baltimore. Like it just, I don't know why he did that. But he, for some reason, he, he takes this long, slow journey up the coast of the Mediterranean with his disciples before working his way back over. We don't know what happened on that story. We don't get a lot of, of examples of, of miracles or healings. What I do know is that pretty much immediately after this is when Peter reveals or, or sees for the first time, the divinity of Jesus and declares it. What I also know is that right after this journey, Jesus begins to predict the end of his life. And he begins saying, you say already? We're only in Mark 7. Yeah, he, in the next chapters, we'll see that he'll be, begin to talk about the end coming as they slowly move towards Jerusalem. And so I think this is really important time that he spends with his disciples on this slow, intentional journey through Sidon and then back to the Decapolis possibly several months later, to continue journeying in his home region. Now, we don't know why he did this, but we see that he spends this precious time with his band of brothers before going to the far side of the Sea of Galilee to meet someone in desperate need of help. It says, Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. Decapolis is a group of ten towns on the east side. And then there they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And they begged him to lay his hand on him. I love this. I love these accounts. Like, like the friends who lower their crippled friend through the roof in the middle of Jesus' teaching. These are friends that are desperate to bring their dear brother to the feet of Jesus. And this should be a picture for us. Do we know how good Jesus is? Do we have the kind of compassion that he has towards others that, that would, would just compel us to bring others to his feet? These friends are willing to do whatever it takes. Be like these friends. Whether it's through prayer or invitation or all of the above, do what it takes to bring your friends near to Jesus and see what he does. See what he does. Here they get to witness a miracle. Here we have in this account some friends who have brought 
a man to Jesus whose needs are obvious. He's unable to hear, and we also see that he's unable to speak clearly. Now, these things are probably connected. There's some relationship between this speech impediment and his inability to hear what he's saying clearly and what others have been saying. So we see a lot of these healings in Scripture, and the lessons can be somewhat repetitive, but I love this particular passage because in it we get to see the individual care that Jesus gives to a person in need. Watch what he does and learn from this the heart of healing. Three principles for praying for healing like Jesus. It says, verse 33, and taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears and after spitting, touched his tongue. First, I want you to notice that he took him aside from the crowd. And what I want you to see from that is that Jesus cared about people, not performing. He cared about people, not performing. So often in these so-called healing ministries, you see people where it's really all about the person doing the praying and, and the performance and all that. And Jesus was, was not like that at all. Here, Jesus considers this man who has been brought to him with this frenzy of, of begging and pleading and seeking to not embarrass or parade this man about. He quietly takes him aside from the crowd to a quiet place. Now, why? When I thought about this passage, when I thought about what Jesus is doing and drawing him away from the crowd, I could think of, of several loving reasons that Jesus would do this. First, I think Jesus is modeling humility to us. He, he's revealing that this is not about a sign or a spectacle. In fact, he, he condemns when we look just for signs and spectacles. But rather, this is about bringing the healing power of God's love into an individual's life. And, and though this man had probably never met Jesus personally before this moment. Somehow, this individual matters to Jesus. He matters to Jesus. Secondly, we see that Jesus is, is shielding this man from any kind of feelings of embarrassment uh, or, or overwhelm at this public display of his predicament. How would you like to be brought before a crowd with your problem on display for all to see? And like a wise physician, Jesus cares about this man enough to remove him from this environment of spectacle to make certain that he won't be overwhelmed. Thirdly, he brings him to a quiet place because Jesus knows he has power to heal. And we're going to see in a moment that he wants to heal this man. He knows he's able to heal this man. But think about the type of world that Jesus will introduce this man to as he hears for the first time. He won't hear a noisy crowd. He won't be overwhelmed by shouting and cheering. Instead, Jesus, in his compassion towards this man, his individual care, he brings him to a place in which the first gentle sounds that he hears will be the breeze, the song of a bird, the calm, quiet voice of the Lord. Lastly, we'll see that in just a moment, the way that Jesus, as he takes him aside, is able to draw his full and undivided attention to teach him an unmistakable testimony of the power of God. So we see that Jesus cared about people not performing. The second thing we see is that he communicated in a way that this man could fully understand. The principle here, here is that Jesus cared about tenderness, not technique. I think often in prayer and in, in, in these kinds of healing settings, we want the technique. Like hand on, hand off, in Jesus' name, but how loud do I say it? Maybe you all aren't like that, but, but we think about the technique. Like, what's it got to look like? And Jesus here shows us that it's about tenderness, not technique. It's so individual, and he heals him in a way that he doesn't anyone else in Scripture. It says, taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears, and after spitting, touched his tongue. 
I want you to see what Jesus is doing here. Don't, don't miss this. Knowing the challenges that this man must deal with on a daily basis just to understand and to be understood in life, knowing what he deals with, Jesus stops speaking. And this healing up until the very end takes place in silence as Jesus begins to communicate with him in sign language through visible cues that leave no doubt about what is going to happen next. Watch the way he walks him through this healing. The healer, Jesus, he stands eye to eye with this deaf man and slowly and deliberately, as they're face to face, he reaches forward and touches the man's ears, letting him know what is going to happen next, what he is going to, to pray to be opened. And then Jesus puts a little bit of saliva on his own finger, showing the man what is going to happen next. The man opens his own mouth. He can see it. He, he understands Jesus is leading. He opens his own mouth and sticks out his tongue. And Jesus touches his tongue with his own saliva. The anticipation will be growing. This man sees that Jesus understands his plight. He, he understands what he's going through. And Jesus reaches out and touches him. And then watch what Jesus does next in verse 34. It says, and looking up to heaven, looking up to heaven. What does that make you do? person standing face to face suddenly looks up. The man looks up too. And, and for just a moment, he, he then grasps that what is about to happen next is divine. Jesus is, is making sure that there is no mistake to be made. This is the power of God to heal this man. His eyes are directed up, and then Jesus, in a visible motion, lets out a great sigh. The man's eyes return to Jesus' face as Jesus looks him in the eye and says to him this word, F-fa-tha, F-fa-tha. Try to say that word, F-fa-tha. This may just be a strange word to you, but there's a reason that it is on the page in its original language, and, and it's because this word, be opened, to someone reading lips, f Fa, tha, is impossible to mistake. Impossible. Three syllables, so clear as he looks upon the mouth of Jesus, as Jesus speaks to him in a way that he can understand. He lets out this breathy, visible sigh and says in his own language, with a visible cue that he can understand, be opened. Be opened. Verse 35, and his ears were opened. His tongue was released. And he spoke plainly. Do you see in this the care of Jesus? Do you see his tenderness? Do you see his, his compassion towards this man, the way he approaches ministry? It has so much more to do with, with how he deals with individual people than with programs, than with methods, than with technique. That's not what it's about. He considers this man's unique problem and plight and deals with him as an individual with a special need and deals with him with incredible kindness and consideration. I love this story. But I think as we read these stories and we see the healing touch of Jesus, sometimes we can miss it. Like we can miss the power of what just happened in this moment. And so what I want to do is, is uh, thanks to modern medical technology, uh, we've gotten to see in the last couple of years what happens when someone hears for the first time. And I want you to see that. And I'm going to show a video to you where you're going to get to see what overcomes a person when they hear for the first time. You'll see a young woman who for 29 years has not been able to hear anything. So let's go ahead and run that video. <laughs> it's like so close. <laughs> there you go. 
It's beeping. So now technically your device is on. Can you tell? Oh, it's exciting. Here, you can put it down for a second. Just get used to the sound. What does it sound like? <laughs> Can you hear me? And you hear your voice? Does your voice sound pretty loud? Um, no, not really. Well, that's good. <laughs> My laughter sounds loud. Yeah, you'll get used to all of that over time. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus experienced that every day. That's the power of God to heal. That, that's, just, that's just a picture of what Jesus experienced in his ministry all the time, what his disciples got to, to see. I don't know which one of the disciples was uh, in charge of the tissues, but I'm sure someone was. <laughs> it's amazing, isn't it? You just see the, the overwhelm of emotion, and this, was, this is what happens when the power of God comes into someone's life. And, and in this, we see this temporary healing, but what it points to is something so much even better than that. The power of God to heal... To, to take away the, the pain and the brokenness of sin, to give salvation and wholeness and healing in the kingdom of God. And as people see this, as they look at what Jesus did, d does in this passage, it says he charged them not to tell anyone. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. Because it's so good. They can't help themselves. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, he has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. I mean, I can't imagine this. He, he, he heals this man and gives him the ability to speak clearly for the first time in his life. And he says, don't talk about it. Don't talk about it. But the crowds marvel. And what they do is they don't even know they're doing this. But what they do in saying he has done all things well is they echo Genesis, an account of God looking at his creation perfect, good as he intended it. And it says, God saw everything he had made and behold, it was very good. Very good. What I see in this passage is, is not just that it's an example of, of how we're to pray for people or an example of the compassion of Jesus, but it's so much more than that. This is a parable. It's a picture of the gospel. It's a picture of the gospel that, that we were created for a purpose. God created us for, for wholeness and health and relationship with him relationship with him, but because of sin, but because of, because of brokenness, both our own choices and, and that which we, we are by nature, separated from God by our sin, we are like this man in this passage, unable to really hear and understand the word of God, unable to really see and grasp his goodness toward us, unable to make ourselves clean and holy, unable to heal ourselves. And the power of the gospel is that Jesus came in the form of man. He died on a cross in our place, taking our sin, our brokenness upon himself so that by believing in him and his resurrection from the grave, we can receive new life for eternity. This is a picture of the gospel. If you have never received Jesus Christ into your life, if you've never acknowledged your own sin and said, Jesus, I need you, I need a savior, 
then what scripture tells us is that you can't really see. You can't really understand. You can't really hear. But there's this amazing thing that happens when you just let go and pray, Jesus Christ, I receive your salvation, your free gift of forgiveness of sins. Come into my life. Change me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. I yield myself to you. When you do that, your eyes open. Your ears open. This word of God comes alive in a way that that it never has before. So my invitation to you this morning is twofold. If you've never given your life to Jesus, I'm going to, to lead you through just a simple prayer of receiving salvation. If you are here and you're a believer and you sense that that you have an ailment in you that you want prayer for, we'd invite you to experience the compassion of God, the peace of God that that only he can give as we pray for you. Can we do that? Can we pray for you? And so our prayer teams are going to move into place over there. We're going to have a time of response and worship. And I'm going to, to ask that if you need prayer for anything, to go and receive prayer this morning or to pray for those that are right around you. Let's go to him in prayer now. Jesus, you are so good, so good. Lord, I I marvel that just a glimpse of your compassion and goodness can move us, and yet it is so much more than that, so much deeper, beyond our comprehension. Lord, I pray for anyone here this morning that has closed ears or blind eyes to your goodness, that today they would simply utter a prayer of faith to receive you into their lives. If that's you this morning, I'd ask you to pray along with me. There's no power in the prayer itself. There's power in belief. Jesus Christ, I see my own sin and brokenness. I see that I cannot save myself. but I've heard that you died on a cross for me and took my sins upon yourself. I've heard that you rose from the grave conquering death. And Lord, I believe it. I believe it. Come into my life. Save me, Lord. And become Lord of my life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Make me the kind of person you want to be. Thank you, Lord, for loving me and coming into my life. Thank you for your salvation. Thank you for the forgiveness of sins. Thank you for the new life I've received in you. In Jesus' name. Lord, for everyone else here, we just pray that you would give us a heart of compassion towards those that don't yet know you. We are are vessels of your Holy Spirit to pour out your love and compassion on a world in desperate need, Lord. The laborers are few, and yet this room is full of them. Send us into your harvest with boldness to be witnesses of your saving and healing power and grace. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name.